This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And welcome back to the Invested Podcast. We're on, if you're keeping count, I think we're on 252. Are we? Yeah, I, <laughs> I kept count to 250. And then the, after that, it's too many numbers. It's a lot of numbers. We've been doing this a while, huh? Yeah. We're doing once a week. That would add up to about five years worth of podcasts. Can you believe we have five years worth of podcasts on here? Well, Is that it's even been, possible? It's not been five years. No, wait. We started in... I can't, I'm the worst of years. Did we start in 2016? No, we started in 2015. And mm-hmm. now it's 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's been about four full years, right? All, four most full of, years. Like half little, of 2015. That'd be a little over 200. We have 252. I think we're very, very, very close to five years worth here. Yeah. At 260. Aren't we at five years at 260? Yeah, we are. <laughs> so that is unbelievable. I'm, I've been I've talking never... with you about investing for five years and you've gotten quite good at it. So everyone out there, take heart. Yes, take heart. <laughs> I agree with that. Should be our slogan. Just stop. Stop with all this explanation at the beginning. Welcome to the Investive Podcast. Take heart. Oh my gosh! You too can uh, get over your block with numbers and deal you, with this craziness. Your stepbrother <laughs> just sent me a really cool thing from business school. Oh, cool! He's, he sent over a. Um, a business school chart that shows the standard deviation between having a thousand stocks, 800, 700, 600, 500, 400, 300, 200, 100, 90, 80, 70, 60, 50, 40, 30, 20, like that. The standard deviation of returns, if I understand this correctly, and if you're an efficient market theorist, I'm like the standard deviation of re- adjust, of returns is almost identical. It's just slightly, slightly uh, less standard deviation if you have thirty stocks or more than if you have twenty or ten. Well, I'm I'm lost, and okay. admittedly, I'm not a statistician. But a standard deviation is a statistically significant separation of data from one area, one part of data to another. So you're saying there's a whole standard deviation between no, thirty stocks like, and ten stocks. It's like if you have twenty stocks, uh, your standard deviation is around twenty, and if you have like a thousand stocks, it's like nineteen. In other words, you don't get any real benefit in terms of uh, the idea of diversifying diversifying your portfolio. You don't get any real benefit much past 20 stocks. A 20-stock portfolio... Uh, okay, so that's not a standard deviation. But It's a standard I'm... deviation of returns. 
Okay. I think oh, that's man, I hope you're not going to go deeper into this because I have just hit the bottom of my lake. <laughs> I have two. <laughs> my lake is two inches deep on standard deviation. Um, I think I think it's a different term, but tell me the tell me the point of what you're getting at. That, the point is it I doesn't mean, get I mean, you anything in terms of uh, of less risk by shifting from twenty stocks to a thousand. Okay. Or thirty, or forty, or fifty, or sixty. Wouldn't it make an enormous difference which stocks you own? Well, that's of course what they don't tell you. How they can they even that. put that into a statistic? That doesn't make any. I mean, people put things into statistics all the time, so I'm sure it, there's it is a way. Really, a good question. I mean, you, if you have a thousand stocks, you're gonna you're gonna end up with a market return, and it because that's I mean, shoot, the S and P five hundred is only five hundred of them, so you're gonna end up with a market return. If you have twenty stocks, efficient market theory uh, would suggest you won't you won't have you'll have a much wider deviation from a market return than right. if you have a thousand. So a thousand stocks should give you just exactly a market return with very right. little deviation. Right. And it turns out a thousand stocks is going to give you only a slightly different amount of deviation from the market than 20 stocks will. In other words, 20 stocks will, will pretty much do the market. There's just no way that's true. There's no way that's true. <laughs> what? Honey, are you listening? It's not true. What if your, my... Well, your lawyer sister-in-law says, it's, or sis, stepsister says it's not true. I don't know if he ran the numbers, but um, yeah, it depends which, which companies they well, are, obviously. I haven't actually seen the statistics before. This was a statistical chart. And I will get Hunter to weigh in here on this and, and find out more uh, about this. But I have heard this before that that if you have a you know a reasonable twenty stock portfolio, it's not all in one industry or something, right? Mm -hmm. That you have all the diversification you can get from having a thousand stock portfolio. Yeah, I would agree with that. At least 90% of it. Don't you think if you had like really diversified those 20 different stocks and really had them in different geographical areas and industries and different cycles, I could I could totally see somebody being able to do that with 20. Yeah. And yeah, this sense. isn't exactly proof because the the indexes do change stocks when something gets out of uh, when when it's not doing well. But the Dow Jones Industrial Average is only 30 stocks, and it is my view of what the market's doing. And True. it works quite nicely. I mean, it True. works very, very well. It's, it's acceptable to use the Dow Jones 30 stock index as a reasonable, prox proximate for, uh, reasonable proxy for the market. So to say that, um, you know, if you have 20, I think you're roughly within 90% of the same, the same result. And... If you have if 10, here's the best part. Yeah. If you have 10 stocks, which is kind of where we are, we're more toward the 10 stock than the 20 stock, um, you have 80% of the same standard deviation. So you're going to be a little, you're going to be a little bit like 20% more volatility, assuming you have a diversified 10 stocks. And that might be very acceptable for most people to have a little more volatility than the stock market if the end result were to get a 20% return instead of a 7% return. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's crazy good news for investors that are thinking about taking this on, this do this rule one investing stuff and try to learn, you know, the way Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger teach it 
best as best we can we can do that and end up with 10 stocks and maybe 20 in a lifetime. I mean, the same point. Like, it really depends what the stocks are. Well, yeah, of course. So, it, it depends on what the stocks are. But I don't know. I struggle with these stats that are like, with 20 stocks, you'll come up with this. Well, no, you won't. It depends on what they are. And if, with 10 stocks, it's even more dependent on what they, they are. Get there. What do they do? Take a random sampling of 20 stocks and then run the standard deviation on it and see what they came up with and just throw darts at 20 things? Let's, I mean, let's I leave no the idea. standard deviation out of it. I, know, I do not think that word no, means what you think it means. Well, let's, <laughs> let's say you're taking the beta out of it. I think that's really what they yeah. mean. Yeah. Is that you, how does this compare to the to the S and P 500 index? Yeah, yeah. In terms of its vol, how much movement around it do you have, mm-hmm. and what's your rate of return relative mm-hmm. to the index? So yeah, you're exactly right. I don't right. know how you get there, but I do know this: if if you're using your brain, you should come out at least as good as a broad random sample. At least as good. And if at least as good as a broad random sample is getting you a, the same level of volatility, roughly, as the market itself, then what's to worry about? Then none, Let's learn this stuff and go after that 20% return instead of being down here at, at 5%, I think. It'd be a, pretty smart. Well, the part to worry about is that you're not diversified, so those 10 stocks that you choose may turn out to be the bottom 10 instead of the top 10. Well, that's what I worry about. If let's say you did, let's say you picked. So, okay. Let's say you Cause you're picking, right? Companies. That's the point. We're, we're getting an edge by, by picking, by choosing. Right. That's the that's concept the here. You're getting an edge. So, you know, equally one must admit that the other side of that coin is the possibility that your picks are bad. And so and you're basically saying that the edge has two sides to it. It's two edged sword. It can yeah. cut both ways. Yeah. It can your both edge get you could actually returns. be your downfall. Yes. Yeah. It can get you higher <laughs> returns and lower returns. And I'll bet you that's what that standard deviation is talking about. It's the range of returns you'd get just randomly applying 20 stocks across the entire market over and over and over and over and over and over. And yeah, over probably. Yeah, because that's how statisticians do that sort of right. thing, so which is how they have, come up with stuff like that. You're going to have the, you're going to have a bigger range than you would on the S&P 500. Yeah. Now, the, the beauty of yeah, picking your own point. stuff, though, and just to get back to why we've done almost five years of podcasts about this stuff, is because the stock market doesn't just go up all the time. Right. I mean, if you could say, oh, right. well, hey, I'm just going to put my money in the stock market and it'll make me an annuity like return of 7% a year. Well, OK, that would be like having a bond. But the problem is the stock market doesn't do that. In fact, it does something radically different than that. It can go down 50 percent back up to where it was and keep doing that yo-yo without ever getting higher than it was. And it can do that for as long as, so far historically, 26 years. Yeah, totally. Which leads yeah. us Which to is... George Soros saying, hey, yeah, the stock market always goes up in the long run, but in the long run, we're all dead. <laughs> Meaning you can't count on the stock market coming back. That's funny. <laughs> super quickly. <laughs> and it's so funny how they how the market place plays with this at CNBC and, and at your mutual fund advisors and all the whole thing is to maximize their desire to hold on to your money and, and, and maximize their ability to do so. 
by giving you really bad statistical stuff. And then the, the latest one that I just think is just financial pornography is these guys basically saying, look how great the stock market did in 2019. Isn't this amazing? What a rocket ship stock market we've had. It's just like freaking unbelievable how this stock market is exploding in 2019. Okay. Right? I mean, 20, what, 28%? Is huge. that what it did in 2019? I didn't know that. I never Something paid any attention. huge like that. Huge. Right? <laughs> I got to look it up. <laughs> having, having done this magnificent, wow, what a great thing to be in the stock market. These guys forgot that as of September of 2018, if you'd started there instead of a, you know, this sort of arbitrary time frame of 12 months, it happens to match the calendar. So let's just use it. Instead, if you'd started in September when the market peaked and then began to crumble down until it crashed all the way down in December, almost to the bottom perfectly by December 31st, if you'd started in September and calculated the rate of return of the S&P 500, it would be a compounded return over that 16-month period of about 4%. Hmm. Do you want to know what it actually was? Was it? In 2019, this is the S&P 500, mm -hmm. so that's using that as the marker. In 2019, returned 30.43%. 30.43. And if you add in dividends, 33.07%. Oh, my God. I did not know that. <laughs> okay. Wow. So, and they're going to use this. No as wonder a, everybody with every funds financial is advisors going nuts. out there. I mean, they're all they're all using this now because oh, look at how great the stock market is. And you know, they forget that the market, let me see, the market peaked at just a, almost 3,000 on September 21st, 2018, right? And it got back to almost 3,000 um Hang on. Got back there. Okay, right about Ju July. Okay, <laughs> so July of 2019, it broke even since September of 2018. So right, I so think what you're finally, saying is that you're, the period you look at makes a big difference? I'm saying that, that the financial industry is going to hype up the returns in the market every chance they get. And they're going to leave you baffled that your 401k hasn't improved 33%. Why uh, not, I wonder. I see. Uh, we obviously had a 33% year. And the reason is, is because the market really was flat until November of 2019. Flat from September of 2018. It was a 0% rate of return. And then in the last two months of 2019, it mm -hmm. took off and went up about 300 points or about 10% overall. Hmm. So if you took that on a on a compounded rate of return, you'd be looking at about a year and a third at 10%. So I'm probably a little off there. It's probably like a 6% return compounded. Hmm. But my point is it's nothing like a 33% return. Okay, like get a freaking grip hmm. on what these people are actually telling you. So um, And yet it is a 33% return. From the beginning of 2019 to the end yeah. of 2019. Yeah. But that's like saying that from um, the beginning of, let's say, 
This is what I think really confuses people. Um, let's go back to, uh, I mean, I think it's pretty normal to use a calendar year as a reporting mechanism for time period. Oh, totally, totally, totally reasonable to do that, but totally unreasonable to have absolute mental loss. You know, you can't remember anything. You have complete memory loss about what happened the year before. It, It would be a bit like saying that the market return in 2010 to 2011 was just this spectacular 25% return. Having forgotten that you've lost half of your money in the previous two years, right? In other words, you need a 100% return just to get your money back. And you forgot that. And you're hyping up, look at how great the market's doing. It's up 25%. It's up 30%. Oh, I see. So it's like... If you're in 1931 and you're like, the market's up, I don't know what happened in 1931, yeah. but 1932, if it's, it's up 25% and you'd be like, well, but it's I've, up I've lost from... lost 90% of my money. Yeah, exactly. That's what you're yeah. saying. That it depends yeah, and that's on why people are so confused about looking at their, their 401ks, looking at what, what's happened in them, and they're thinking that the market has done so well because they've been hyping up for the last 10 years how great it's done, Right. Right. Phenomenal. From 2010 to 2020, we've had the market go from 880 or so on the S&P, oh, eight, almost 800 to 3,200. So it's a 400% rise in the stock market. And the compounded rate of return has been about 13% a year compounded. Mm-hmm. And you got to be thinking, wow, why don't I see that in my 401k? But why wouldn't you if you had a 401k and you just stayed with it during all those years? Why wouldn't you see that? Well, because your 401k peaked at double that in June of 2007, roughly. And so you first you got cut in half, which means the market has to go up 100% just to break even. Mm-hmm. And that took you all the way to basically 2013. So from 2009 until 2013, four straight years, while they're hyping up how great the market's doing, you, it was just you haven't making even broken the gains, even yet. Yeah, it was making the gains back yeah, from what it was before. Exactly. And so rather than a 400% return, what really happened is it went from basically 1,500 to 3,000. It, it doubled once. Got it. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's so a it sounds really different compounded rate of return. Yeah. Yeah. In sort of absolute money. Yeah. Yep. That in makes absolute sense. Absolute money. Uh, if you'd been in the S and P 500, um, you you would have doubled your money in since 2007. Right. Yeah. So you're looking at 13 years. You doubled once, which means you're averaging in 13 years. You're averaging about five and a half percent compounded. Plus, you got some dividends in there. So let's give you 6% compounded or so. And, um, you know, that's nothing to write home about. And yet, this is being hyped up as one of the greatest decades in the stock market ever. Well, maybe it still is. (laughs) (laughs) I suspect. Oh, there was another really interesting Schiller chart. Oh my gosh, we are never going to get to checklists, are we? We teed it up, (laughs) we hyped it up. Maybe we just start checklists next time because I want to hear what the the really interesting Schiller report said. Okay, well, the you know Robert Schiller did the the uh, created the Schiller cyclical cyclically adjusted PE ratio, um, 
and produced a chart which basically explained why uh, you may have not have done well in the stock market at times when you thought you were doing it should have done better, um, and that the current stock market is vastly overpriced on a historical basis. Okay. So the and by the way, he won the Nobel Prize in economics for that, among other things. And so this is not a lightweight guy; he's a professor at Yale, and um, and he produced a document not too long ago uh, uh, that compared the cyclically adjusted rates of return in the stock market over the over, gosh, the last since I think 1950. So how you had done over any 10 year period of time, so 50 to 60, 51 to 61, and so on. Um, compared to the percentage of equity uh, that the general public has of their equity invested in the stock market, so let's say if say the, that one more time. So if the if if you have a hundred thousand dollars and you invest seventy thousand dollars of it in the stock market, okay, you have seventy percent of your total investable capital in the stock market. Okay, all right, and if you have a hundred thousand dollars and you have 40,000 invested in the stock market. You have 40% of your investable capital in the stock market. Okay. All right. And this, this, this chart is magnificent. It basically shows that as people put more and more of their investable capital in the stock market, approaching 60 to 70% mm -hmm. as, as a general population, um, the stock market rates of return go down towards zero. Hmm. In other words, the more people who think the stock market is a good place to put money, the worse the next 10 years are going to be. Because he's using the 10-year moving, what, rate of return? Yeah, it's just 10-year average cyclically adjusted, basically. So okay. Just the 10-year average return adjusted for inflation. Because if it were compared to a, like that year, I think it would have to be over multiple years the way he did it in order for that to be the outcome. Because if it were in that year, then the more people that put money in the stock market, the more money that goes into the stock market will cause their buying stocks. So that's going to cause prices to rise in general. But yeah, you'd think, right? You, but then the well, next following 10 years, what but happens? So then, and that's the question. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So we don't know what's happened since uh, 2010 or 11, I guess, at this point. We're on the 10-year cycle of 2011 to 2021. So we don't have that data Oh, point. like he went with like round decades, not no, a no, moving 10 years. No, just happens to be, you know, we're on 2011 because he's got the data in. Oh, no, he doesn't. He has the data in for 2010 through 2019, but I don't think it's published it yet. It's mm, pretty new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sure we've got 2000. Eight to or two thousand nine mm -hmm. to two thousand eighteen. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that ten year cycle. So we've got all the ones before that, all the way back into the nineteen fifties, and it turns out there's a absolute correlation, or should we say it's absolutely opposite of correlation? It's a perfect correlation. The when you get up to seventy, sixty, seventy percent of the population investing, sorry, sixty to seventy percent of equity invested in the stock market your next decade of returns are below 5%. Hmm. And we're there now. <laughs> That's the point, is that we are very near the peak most ever percentage of equity invested in the stock market. Like this year, you mean? This is not as, according to his chart, because you said the chart only goes up to 2011. Yeah, so, as of... Yeah. And as, as of... Um, right, so... 
so probably the the last 10 years have been pretty good because it was very low in 2008 and mm. 2009, right? People had pulled mm. their money out of the market. And indeed, we had very high returns. But this year, we're back up now after 10 years. We're back up to a peak, which implies that the more than implies, it says if this chart has been correct for the last 80 years or 60 years, then we're going to have very low returns in the stock market for the next uh, next 10 years and hmm. um, subsequent, probably until we have a stock market crash or a recession and we start to see people take their money out of the market, in which case, once the money's out of the market, then we're going to have awesome returns again, Does which he corresponds explain... rather, rather, rather closely to what we do with our investing. Does he explain his own interpretation of that data? Not that I've seen. Okay. I'd Not be curious what he thinks that means. <clears throat> so look, check it out. Check it yeah. out. Yeah. Okay. So this is... I have seen that before. Schiller from Yale. Yep. And it's a new chart. Comparing, comparing um, level of investedness. equity percentage in the market. Something mm. like that. Yeah. Right? I Which wonder I if think... um, essentially, because what strikes me is it's kind of a level of you know, it's not a hundred percent. So I'm going to use like air quotes, but being fully invested, like most, most people, most sort of normal people would balk at putting more than let's say 70% of their investable assets in the stock market. And so I wonder if maybe that's kind of the tipping point is where people feel like, okay, I'm fully invested now. I'm not going to put any more money in. Um, I think that's and likely only, since it's never gone over that. that right. So the only place from there is I'm going to take money out because I'm <laughs> right. not going to put any more money in. <laughs> right. And people do that, of course, when the stock market crashes, but they right. don't do it before it crashes. They do it as it's crashing and after it crashes, right? They wait thinking it's going to turn around. It always has before in their experience, right, for the last 10 years, it's always turned around. And there's a lot of investors who are in your era, millennial era, who totally. are now almost 40 years old, who are actually starting to be real serious about investors. And they've never seen a recession. No, it's something I'm super conscious of that I have never, I mean, I've seen, I've seen two recessions, but not as an investor. And mm -hmm. It's um, it's something I'm really conscious of that that's not an experience I've been through. It's not something that I really know in real life how that's going to go, and 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 for me and my <laughs> steadiness in life, my emotions, <laughs> going through something in real life is really important to understanding um, what I need to get better at. So. Oh, I yeah, fully there's... anticipate that I'm going to do a lot of stuff wrong when that happens, even though I'm like trying to be as prepared as I can be. I think, you know, people who have been through it as investors have a real, and maybe, you know, maybe they get like too reactionary or, you know, they've got their own stuff. But, um, but as a newbie, it's definitely something that I wonder, you know, how is that going to go? Well, you you remember that, that joke, I think I told you about, uh, the actor who got a bit part on Broadway. No. Where he was, he got his speaking lines on Broadway, which is a big deal to get speaking lines on Broadway. Sure. And so he's just, you know, basically a, a spear carrier type actor. A and spear his, carrier type actor? That's well, a thing? Yeah. I mean, just like you carry a spear in the, in the Roman saga, right? <laughs> you don't have a lot to do. <laughs> Sir, a message from 
Gallipoli, right? Or whatever. You get one line. So he had okay. one line and it's like, Hark, is that a cannon I hear? Okay. That's all he has to say, right? <laughs> Come on stage. Hark, is that a cannon I hear? And like any struggling actor, you want to get it perfect, right? So he's practicing all the time. Hark, is that a cannon I hear? Hark, is that a cannon I hear? And so on opening night, you know, just just as he's ready to do his part, the last lines before his come out, and then boom, and he goes, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> Which is to the point Because he hadn't practiced it in real, real life. <laughs> yeah, when it's real, it's very, very different. I mean, soldiers know this very, very, they take this to heart, believe me. You have That's all this funny. training and training and training, and you got training with lasers, and you got training with soft bullets and you got training with all kinds of stuff. And then when real bullets fly, when it's really major league stuff coming in with people trying to kill you, it's just completely different. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, there's no substitute for it. And I think you're going to experience that. It's a little bit of, of war and financial war where you're experiencing this huge wave of emotions mm -hmm. that are not just yours. They're the, the emotions of the market mm -hmm. and you totally. get, you get tied into it and it's very hard not to. And this is one of the great secrets of investing. The way we do it is to control your emotion by making sure you have big margins of safety in the companies you own and that you really understand those businesses and that you're comfortable that they're going to survive this, this uh, downturn. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's really, I think takes us to the point <laughs> <laughs> of this particular podcast, which was to start you off on our checklist. But you know what? There to. couldn't be a better introduction, could there? No. This is why this is we why. need a checklist. You got Boom. to control emotion. You got to do it. But and I don't so, like control emotion. I don't like that. I like... Okay, what do you like? mastery of our emotions being right. integrated with our emotions so that it's I not because you're not going to control your emotion it's no gonna, and that's a really sort of messed up you. thing to do that's going to hurt you in the long run so we don't want to control our emotions we want right. to experience our emotions appreciate them and understand that there can be ups and downs and lots of surface level stuff going on and still keep a clear head and knowledge of what we choose to do um, and the actions that we take. Or as clear head as we can. As we and can. Let, and let our Agreed. training kick in. Agreed. Right. And yes. so this will be our this will be important to our training. Now we're gonna go through this pretty carefully. And this has never been published. And I think that this is just one person's view of this okay when you say this what are you talking about this these checklists that i'm going to reveal that you're going to tell us about yeah so these are different or this is a different checklist than the one that we put in our book invested we talked about that last episode that there were actually two kind of different ish tech checklists in our book right. um and now what dad's going to show us next episode is a updated Better? Better question mark? We don't know. We're going to discuss it. Checklist. So, yeah, we'll discuss it. I mean, it, it, as we said last time, it's really a key thing about checklists is that they be the right length. Yeah. About the right things. And mm -hmm. you probably never get it perfect or you maybe never even get it really right. But it's very important that in the emotion of the moment that you have the right checklist and it's not so long that you can't really use it. 
you know, you can't find it or you can't use it. So this is certainly not perfect. It's one shot at it. <clears throat> and, uh, and we do use it. We use it every single company we look at as we get deeper into it. We don't use it initially, <clears throat> particularly. We just crank on the surface level until we have determined that this is interesting enough and, and it's not too hard and, um, and we like it and we want to get deep into it. Then, um, then we start to apply the checklist. And I, I will say, very few people will reveal their checklists. Um, that becomes, you know, pretty proprietary stuff. But I want you, I want you guys to realize that my checklist maybe won't work for you necessarily, but it's a good model, and um, of a type of way of looking at the market that um, it works for us. Yeah, <laughs> well, and that's that's what matters. It works for yeah. you, and each one of us then has we'll we'll take that info and we'll see if it works for us. Okay, so that'll be next time. Um, talk to you then. Thanks, everybody. Okay. okay, man. I guess that's it. We're we're locked in now. We're gonna have to do it. <laughs> I'm a little have I have a little feeling of trepidation about putting this out there, but I understand. Okay. I understand that. Maybe you're allowed. You're allowed to uh, to take things out if you want, and and I might change my mind between now and next week. <laughs> okay, you can think about it. <laughs> I'm gonna think about it. <laughs> Having hyped this up. <laughs> All right, we'll see. We'll next see week if I we'll give be you like so. We're gonna talk about um we'll talk about what's going um, on with Tesla. Guys checklist. What's happening with Tesla lately? Tesla. Yeah, yeah let's talk oh, about that. Hey, yeah, no, about nobody's been bears? nobody's been talking about that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Until then, time to go play. See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi guys, thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.